I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And I'm not in the Maldives, but you are. Woo! You are not in the Middle East. You are where? I am not. I am in the south of France. I am at... Okay, well, you make it sound way in, more glamorous than where you actually are. I'm in the south it, of... Ex- sorry, could you kindly let me know where Toulouse is situated in France? Well, okay, when people say the south of France, Thank you. think... Thank Can you. Central Thank Pay. you. Oh, you you cut me off before I could even get there. I wasn't claiming I was in Cannes. I'm at Airbus headquarters in Toulouse, situated geographically in the south of France, having flown here this morning direct from Doha. I was coming to all that, but Dan, you've now ambushed me <laughs> into having to say it all. So let's 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 go back to you. Where like are overselling. you? Because... <laughs> well, I can't oversell where I am because I am in the Maldives. Which you is are in the spot. Yeah, I am in yeah. the spot to be. So this is our second time at this hotel. We're staying at the W. And this was the place we stayed at the first time. That was our first real introduction to any sort of Uber luxury resort. So we just thought mm. that's the only reason we were so impressed by it. So every time we've come back since, we've tried out other hotels. And we have always felt so white lotus at those hotels. <laughs> So like, like such horrible guests because we're like complaining about stuff that seems obvious. Like the last place we stayed in 2022, they didn't have any shade on the terrace, which is like, yeah, first world problems. But then we're like, oh my God, are we going to be those people that go and complain that there's no shade? And when we got there, they were like, we will do anything. If you want the moon, we will go into space and grab it for you. So we're like, okay, at least they said that. So we'll get an umbrella if you ask for it. Oh, dear. <laughs> so we go there and we're like, excuse me, do you have an umbrella? Keep in mind the beach is covered in umbrellas. They go, no, sorry, we don't have any umbrellas for the room. It was all those types of things at these other resorts. And we kept thinking back to this one being like, yeah. surely it can't have been that perfect. It was just that we were newbies. But we are back and I can say that unsponsored, we are paying for this stay this is the best yeah. resort in the whole world that we have been to. Everything is perfect. And it feels so good to go around telling the staff. We had drinks like the the uh, general manager had like a cocktail hour for elite members this afternoon. So we went, we told everyone in the staff, do you guys know you work at the perfect place? We couldn't be happier. So <laughs> amazing. That's and really nice. I feel like White Lotus was such a game changer for so many mm. people, both on the hospitality side and on the customer side, because you're just like, I do not want to be like anyone in White Lotus. For, for context, in case anybody's listening to this and hasn't watched White Lotus, the White Lotus is an HBO series that focuses on people staying at a resort known as the White Lotus, different ones. The first one was in Hawaii. The second one was in Sicily. And it's a great series. It's really watchable. It's uh, the storylines are fun, but the characters are presented in such a way that the people staying at this resort, you, most of them, you're supposed to just hate because it's just kind of showing this first world problem slash worst side of humanity slash entitlement side to guests that would stay at this resort and uh, that's what dan is referring to when he's saying like he's i mean to be honest i find it 
a bit of a stretch that you have it on your mind not to be like that. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're inherently not like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. You didn't really I... start off this episode with being <laughs> a man of the people kind of vibe. It was all a bit, it was all a bit White Lotus. And maybe that's what triggered you into bringing this up. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's hard to complain. It's really hard. Like I complain in my YouTube videos a lot, obviously, about premium cabins. And it's really yeah. hard to say it in a way where people understand that this is in the context of something that is so expensive that you expect the best. Yeah. Like this hotel yeah. is insanely expensive, but the hotel we stayed at last year where they wouldn't get the umbrellas was like $4,000 a night. We were paying with points, thankfully, but at $4,000 a night, you expect perfection because there's nothing else that's fathomable at that price. So when like this umbrella thing happened, this is one of many examples and it sounds so ridiculous bringing it up, but you're just like, when we came, you literally told us you'd get us the moon and you won't even get us yeah. an umbrella. And then your mind starts going to weird places because you're like, am I a horrible person for thinking this is unreasonable? It's like this weird thing that, that's why I sometimes love to stay in quite cheap places where you just don't have those expectations versus here where it's like so much pressure for it to feel perfect. Can I ask why can I ask why you thought this was therapy rather than the podcast today because <laughs> you you're coming here and you're just am I a horrible person and blah blah, blah. and I'm sitting here like with a notepad as if oh, you know yeah. is he a horrible a horrible <laughs> person like you know doing a little flow chart if yes move here if no go Listen, the listeners will decide. So far, my DMs at least are full of lovely bits of positive feedback. No, people have said that they, and they're always paying uh, their respects to the podcast, addressing both you and I in their opening sentence. So, Oh, that's I nice. I think they like you. I think you have nothing to worry about. So how about you? the staff at these hotels. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to feel like I'm not the only one sounding like this. So can you tell us, you know, what has your experience been in France so far? Has it felt like when you landed in LA and you were just like, I'm home? Well, no, surprisingly, <laughs> <laughs> unsurprisingly rather. But so actually I only arrived today. So I arrived this afternoon. I flew on the direct flight that launched in summer from Doha to Toulouse. It's operated by an Airbus A330, leaves Doha in the morning shortly after eight and it arrives here around 1.30 p.m. local time. So it's a decent flight time given that slept a normal night at home in Doha last night and then woke up at a relatively normal time around six. There was heavy, crazy thick fog in Doha this morning. Oh, wow. Six. Fog I have never seen. I could not see beyond anything. of the, I couldn't see the plants at the end of my terrace and my terrace is not big at all. <laughs> so it was a, it was a lot. But it, there's the moment the sun started to come up, it, it kind of lifted and there were no operational delays. So whisked into Al Safwa and then to the aircraft. And I've had a really, really busy six days to the extent that I've been leaving home in the morning at 6am and I've been coming back at 1am. Um, it's just oh been really full on with work, foreign delegations in town. There's been a, a big political conference that I was part of. I've had back to back broadcasts. I've been doing interviews. I've had some clients that I work with that were in town. So it's been really back to back. I knew, I mean, I knew from when I went to bed last night, tomorrow I'm going to sleep so well on the flight. I just, it was one of those it was guaranteed. I didn't even need to think about, you know, will I fall asleep? I knew. And yeah. I mean, we 
shot up to cruising altitude so quickly because the aircraft had a relatively light load. And so we, we were very light. I mean, we, we really, really gained altitude super quickly. Seatbelt sign off, made up the bed and I was asleep. The flight was seven hours and 14 minutes, something like that. I was asleep for six hours, 30, which That's was crazy. a lot. Yeah, especially a lot to not wake up during that six hour 30. And then I, you know, I did it in such a way so that the seat, my seatbelt was fastened above the blanket. So I knew that I wouldn't be disturbed. And that there, there were moments, I think, of quite a bit of turbulence every now and then. But I can't be sure because I was asleep. So I don't know if I was dreaming it or I, <laughs> I was dreaming it because it was happening. You know, when you're not sure, like, if yeah. it's, anyway, I, I think I was dreaming it because it was, I was feeling it and vice versa. But good flight overall. Arrived here to Toulouse, where surprisingly, it's not too cold at all, actually. What's it's the temperature? Mild. It's about 15. Wow. So, yeah, I was checking the yeah. weather in New York for the coming week and it's going to be like the same temperature there two weeks out of Christmas, which is a bit, ooh. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, compared to when I was in London two weeks ago, which was absolutely Arctic, it's, <laughs> uh, it's mild here, so that's fine. And I'm obviously here because Airbus, the European global giant aircraft manufacturer, the main base of Airbus is here in Toulouse. I visit often for meetings or events or discussions. And, and engagements with Airbus. Toulouse is their main site. This is the arguably one of the historic homes of civil aviation. And Airbus's history is incredibly strong here. You know, France's aviation sector roots really are born out of Toulouse. And Toulouse is super familiar because I've been here 10 million times. There were years where I was coming every two weeks. So it's all good. Toulouse Airport's nice and easy. Out within minutes, straight to the hotel. And it's now, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday evening, ready for this to be published on Wednesday morning. It's now 5.20 p.m. local time, and it is pitch black. But we are in winter. We are on the 12th of December. Yeah. And speaking of 12th of December, can I now do a dramatically change subject slightly? But I want to wish my lovely, beautiful mother, a very, very, very happy birthday. Aww. Today is her birthday, 12-12. And because of work commitments, I'm actually not with her, but uh, we'll be soon. And I hope she's having an amazing day with my twin sister, Demi, who I know has planned some stuff and sorted some things and, and so on and so on. Oh, Oscar and I send lots of love and best wishes. Your mom's the best. That's so sad you don't get to celebrate with her. We will, just not today. Yeah. She's so, gonna. She's with Demi today. They're with relatives and cousins and so on. Okay, good. If you're one, like, the thought I had this week, I was flying ATRs around the Maldives a bit because we were first on a local island before coming here. It reminded me they're also based in Toulouse, right? They're such a silent player there compared to Airbus. Absolutely. So ATR, again, the home, the roots here in Toulouse, a strong connection with Airbus as well, not just in terms of the fact that they are physically co-located on the Airbus site, but also in terms of their strategic partnership, financially, commercially, they are heavily intertwined in that sense. But yeah, you're right. And it's funny because you flying an ATR from one island to the other in the Maldives that ATR, once upon a time, left here 
at yeah, the delivery center by either Airbus or ATR in the south of France and, and had the, that long journey from here in France to to its new home in the Maldives. The craziest are ATRs getting to Pacific Islands and Hawaii because there's yeah. literally no airports within many hours. So I guess they just load have no weight on board and then load up on fuel how do those delivery flights work like let's say u.s mainland to hawaii which is a four and a half five hour flight so it's often they have to take special regulatory permission to be able to fly across different seas and oceans um and also they're stopping wherever they can en route because yeah. For, to put this into context, we're talking about a turboprop aircraft, right? We're talking about a small regional aircraft that's flying you as your island hopping in the Maldives. But once upon a time, as we said, that's had to travel vast distance from France to, for example, the Maldives. So in your example that you said about going to the US and to Hawaii, that aircraft will probably have left France for somewhere like Iceland. Ireland. Or Iceland. if it could do it, it would go straight to Iceland without stopping first in Ireland. And then from Iceland over towards Canada, then Canada into the US, then into the US across to somewhere else in the US, then from that point in the US across to another place in the US, then maybe even from that point to another, depending on the, the yeah. weight on board. And then, of course, that special permission to be able to fly with a certain number of passengers on board and those passengers are not fair paying passengers they're part of the delivery teams it will be the bare minimum they'll have no weight they will have no no cargo for example and it's the funny world of deliveries that we explored in a previous episode and it's actually why i'm here at airbus now because airbus in the coming days is preparing to hand over in a formal delivery the first Airbus A350-1000 to Japan Airlines. Japan Airlines oh. are taking this brand new aircraft that everyone is, is waiting to see. Wait, does this mean you're going to Japan? It does not mean I'm going to Japan oh. because we are far too close to Christmas for me to be oh. to be heading to Japan right now. My work schedule has already been maxed out. There's no way I can commit to Japan um, this close to Christmas. But, you know, it's it's... It's significant that they're taking this aircraft and there's plenty of time to do Japan and hopefully the A350-1000 because this aircraft, when I landed, I could see it being parked at the delivery center and I'll be there in the morning. The 350-1000 that Japan Airlines is taking is, I mean, it looks incredible because these are brand new, stunning cabins. Yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. We spoke about it several episodes ago. Now it's finally a reality. Japan Airlines has been making a lot of news with this aircraft. So how about Alex, you talk us through what's so special about it? Sure. So the Japanese delegation are in town here at Airbus to pick up the first of the 13 A350-1000s that they have on order. Now this aircraft, the first destination is going to be New York. And while it will be delivered to Japan and handed over to Japan this week here at the Airbus Delivery Center in Toulouse. It will not enter commercial service. Basically, that's when it will start flying passengers until late January. But that's kind of consistent with what you would expect when an airline takes a new aircraft. It needs a couple of weeks for some fine tuning, some finishing touches and some uh, last minute additions that they have at their maintenance facilities in Tokyo rather than here at Toulouse. 
And once it enters service, passengers are going to, I think, be wowed by this aircraft. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting on board and then telling you next week as to as to mm-hmm. just exactly if it was living up to expectations. But in a nutshell, six first class seats, a very small exclusive first class cabin in in total and what is going to be a very premium heavy configuration on the whole aircraft. So you've got six first class seats, then you have 54 business class seats. Yeah. When you're looking at the at the seat map, it's taking over most of the aircraft, followed by 24 premium economy seats, and then finally 155 economy class seats. It's the airline aircraft that Japan wanted to debut all of its new cabins on. And so there's a brand new first class. There's a brand new business class. There's also, of course, a brand new premium economy class, which will have those 24 seats in a 242 configuration. And the seat pitch, I mean, very generous, 42 inches. It's the first premium economy product in the world that will offer electronically operated reclining functionality. So that's the the movement of the seat is going to be uh, fully electronic, the likes of those that you would find in business class. But it, it looks very private. Again, the, I'll, I'll, I'll find out once I'm on board. What's the benefit of that? Sorry, like, isn't it just more of a maintenance, potential maintenance problem than a benefit if it's not going to go flat anyway? Well, I mean, I guess I'll see it and the devil's in the detail and, and, and also how it feels. I'll let you know next week. But I think if I had to guess, it's because from what I'm reading, the, for example, the leg rest partition of the seat, that area can can go up 90 degrees now i think that would be quite difficult to do if it wasn't Mm. automated in terms of being an electronic um functionality feature but we'll see that's that's the whole point of uh of this upcoming delivery and there is a, a brand new economy class and japan airlines has one of the best economy class cabins in the world it's arguably one of the most comfortable because of their lower density cabins that they are typically known for it's this aircraft is having an economy class that is consistent with the rest of the fleet, but there is slightly better legroom, there is slightly better seat width, there are bigger screens, and the seats will have the USB C outlets and so on and so on. You'll be able to listen with Bluetooth earphones and AirPods and so on and so on. So, you know, this is their springboard into okay, here is uh, Japan Airlines elevating the passenger experience. From from very solid foundations. I mean, have you you've flown them, haven't you, long haul? Plenty of times, yeah. Personally, I I'm not the biggest fan of Japan Airlines. I think ANA is a lot better, in my opinion. But Japan Airlines has a lot of huge fans, so it's just a matter of preference and whatever our experiences have been. But I've flown them in every cabin besides their premium economy, and I, I'm excited to see something be refreshed. Definitely. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Dan, I wanted to ask you if you saw this story, because at first, prior to me seeing that the gentleman had a Russian nationality, when I just knew he was simply a gentleman, a man, in the headline, I thought, wow, this must be Dan. Because (laughs) there is a headline that flashed up onto my screen yesterday that a man flew Scandinavian Airlines on a flight from Copenhagen to Los Angeles. LA makes its return to the podcast. Yeah, I thought that that would have been you on that flight, not me. 
Mm, Scandinavian Airlines is definitely more up your street. I don't mm. think we we find Alex Macharis on there much. Well, I uh, I haven't flown there much the past few years either. Yeah, but that's still your national carrier, so let's not try and distance ourselves too much. Yeah, okay, there we go. So moving on now that we've accepted. Listen, the first is like the, the 12 steps. The first step, Dan, is to acknowledge. Okay? What's, which step acknowledge. is anger? Because that's where I'm at right now. Maybe that's like pre-acknowledge, but, but <laughs> the first step is acknowledge, okay? Gothenburg is your state-of-the-art, in inverted commas, hub for global trade and tourism. You know, you know and which country our podcast has the worst reviews in? <laughs> Can you guess? Is it Sweden? Sweden. <laughs> it's but because we, you're we talk about Sweden all the time. <laughs> no, I love Gothenburg. I, I, anyone who's ever listened to this podcast would be able to tell you how absolutely committed I am to the destination nation of Gothenburg. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm... I when mean, Alex says, uh, you guys, know, I'm, I'm normally people Gothenburg. say you go to heaven or hell. Alex says you go to heaven or Gothenburg. Yeah, well, it says a lot that you just were able to make that up pretty quickly. I, don't, I think that's not the first time you've come out with that. And and given the fact that you're actually from there. Wow, Dan, thank you for plummeting our ratings over <laughs> in the beautiful Sweden, which to to the Swedish listeners, I have your back. I mean, it's uh, it's what a place. Anyway, this guy, he flew, it wasn't you, this guy, he flew from Copenhagen to LA without a passport or a visa or a flight ticket or any record that he was ever on the flight. And th these are all Crazy. in official court documents that it's revealed this. How does this happen? He landed at LA and presented himself to the Customs and Border Protection, aka immigration. He wasn't listed as a passenger on the flight, which was SAS Flight 931. He hadn't come from any other flight. He had no passport with him and no ticket. How did he do it? Um, do, I'm asking well, you. Well, no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me. Because <laughs> it was me who did it. <laughs> this, his name was Sergey. Haven't you asked the guy? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I don't know him personally, Alex. But when I read right. this story, a few things stuck out to me as very funny. First of all, the, they interviewed the crew about how it was possible because crew are supposed to do a head count to make sure the number is correct now yeah. i'm not going to slander scandinavia more than i do already but i'm not surprised that the crew count wasn't very accurate secondly oh, wow. they they reported quote-unquote suspicious behavior which was two things one he asked for a second serving at mealtime <gasps> no scandinavian would red ever. flag no Scandinavian would ever Red ask for a second flag. serving. Second, <laughs> second, and admittedly slightly more suspicious thing is he went into the galley and tried to eat some chocolate that belonged to the crew. The sort of context here, first of all, it's not weird to ask for second meals in economy. They're happy to give it if they have meals left over. SAS famously is extremely stingy. I've said before, they don't serve any free drinks between meal services, besides maybe tea or something, on a 11-hour flight like this, there's no snacks. So the guy was hungry. What can you do? It is separate from the fact that he somehow found himself on the flight and didn't even seem to understand himself that there was no. anything weird about him being on there. I'm just reading the report. He claims that 
He had not slept for three days and did not understand what was going on. He said, quote, that <laughs> he, thought he, he was might in the have had a plane store. ticket. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is beginning to sound a little bit like Biden. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, uh, that was a joke, Democrats. That was a joke. Okay. Uh, it says that he said that he, quote, might have had a plane ticket to come to the U.S., but couldn't be sure. He also said that, quote, he did not remember how he got onto the aircraft in Copenhagen, nor would he explain how or when he even got to Copenhagen or what he was doing there because he's not from and does not reside or live in Copenhagen. When asked how he got through security, he claimed also he didn't remember. And and so authorities basically learned nothing. They just have this guy show up. I mean, this is a major security breach. The news headlines are, of course, wanting to pay attention to the fact that his nationality is Russian. And Russia is, of course, on the receiving end of some pretty strong sanctions from the likes of Europe and the US and so on. So there is a slight link to that in the report. And then finally, now he's facing charges of being a stowaway on an aircraft and he's being held at a detention center in L.A., pending trial, which is currently scheduled for the very merry Christmas Boxing Day of 26th of December, oh but is God. subject to change, of course. I mean, this is this is bizarre. Finally, I did reach out to Scandinavians for this. That they, they, they did not comment. So I'll let Unsurprising. you come back to well, me. Yeah, they were not commenting. Alex, maybe this is a good strategy for you. If you can also get a free, you know, accommodation in LA for a few weeks, why not give this a try? Well, because I can go to LA anytime I want. And that, that's what I do. I'm not sure what you're insinuating here, Dan. I don't know why you're salty about the fact that you didn't go this year and I was there and I was, you know, meeting my, sitting next to Bieber at Soho House and things. <laughs> Let it go. Instead, you chose to go to the Maldives where you messaged me two days ago saying it was the first time you'd seen the sun while being there. So I know. I replied to you saying, you're not selling it. You're not selling it very well to me. <laughs> yeah, we did have terrible weather the first few days, which made us quite sad. Before we go back, I want to ask you specifically on that. Is it something that you put a lot of thought into when you're going to the Maldives? Because the of pressure course. for the weather to be good is like Oh my Intense. gosh. Yeah, at these prices, it's everything. So yeah. December is supposed to be the height of dry season. It's just that climate change, unfortunately, has screwed this and many things up. The irony is that the very first time we came here, to, and that was to this specific resort, we had four days of straight, pristine weather. There was not a cloud in the sky. The visibility was amazing. The temperature was perfect. Then, subsequently, every time we've been back, it's been cloudy or rainy at some points. But this trip, we just had the first three days were completely miserable, which uh, we'll be sharing it on YouTube exactly how miserable it was and how it ruined our plans on the local island we were on. Anyway, oh, no. you want to think about the weather. But back to Copenhagen, the sort of crazier thing about this is how many steps he had to get through. He had to get through yeah. security. Then, mm -hmm. of course, every U.S. flight has people interrogating every single passenger before they get a sticker on their passport. And at Copenhagen specifically, the non-Schengen gates, compared to, for example, Frankfurt, where the gates are open, in Copenhagen, you have to pass by the passport control 
where they interview you, then scan your boarding pass, and then you are let into the secured gate area before you board. So somehow he managed to get by the person interviewing him. He managed to have his boarding pass scanned and his passport checked without them seeing he didn't have a sticker. He didn't even have a passport or a boarding pass. There are so many questions. To me, this is very, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy this theory is dodgy. person. But this is dodgy. This is dodgy. This is, this is very dodgy. This is dodgy. This is dodgy. I mean, sometimes this happens in a far more innocent or appears to be more innocent way in that have you seen when kids end up being able to bypass all these checkpoints and, and yeah. end up flying three hours away because they're just like small and they're trailing behind another family. And before you know it, he has successfully flown from UK to <laughs> Antalya and he's doing a, yeah, a Kevin from Home Alone. Yes. You know, that, they Kevin. review the CCTV footage. Classic. And like, also in Love Actually, Love Actually has to make a reappearance. He doesn't fly anywhere, but he runs through security to to say goodbye to Joanna. He does, but isn't there like a big fat policeman chasing <laughs> yeah, after They're him? chasing him, but That's struggling. He manages to make yeah. it to the gate, which uh, it's a movie. So yeah. let's not read too much into it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean we'll see we'll see what the developments are from this trial. But at the moment it doesn't look like it's something that could, as you just say, I mean, you said there, how did he get through security? I mean, how do you even approach security without a boarding pass? How do you get cleared to travel to the US? Yeah. I mean, I haven't spoken before on the podcast about what happened that time. In 2016 or 17, I can't remember when it was, I was going to Seattle to Boeing and I was flying via LA and I checked in at Heathrow Terminal 2 and I was flying Air New Zealand from nice. London to Los Angeles. And then from LA, I would connect onto either Delta or Alaska, someone, I think it was Alaska, and then up to uh, Seattle. Yeah. At check-in, my Esther, which is the visa waiver for British passport holders, is checked and fine and approved. Of course, like it was already approved prior to me even arriving at the airport. All is good. And I check in for the flight. I know what seat I'm on. And then I proceed to the lounge. From the lounge, I go to the gate and then I board. And when I am on board, I'd only been on board for about two minutes, a gentleman in a suit, in a kind of like an unbranded suit, I'll call it because it wasn't airline specific, it was just like a dark black suit. I thought you were like, he it wasn't Gucci. No, 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 no. I mean, unbranded as in it wasn't airline company specific, it was just generic, normal business wear. He boards the aircraft and he asks the crew, um, where is... Um, this and they're like, yeah, he's in two Juliet or something. And I just heard it above my earphones. I heard them tell him that, yeah, he's there. And it was my seat number. So this guy comes and he says to me, hi, uh, and he's American. He's like, Mr. Macheros. Yeah, he was like, um, could you come with me, please? Can we just have a quick chat? Horrible said, yeah, yeah, feeling. Sure. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, yeah. But I was still quite cool about it. I mean, that's fine. So I stand up. And I start to follow him. And obviously, I, I left my bag by the seat. And he turns around and he says, no, no, you can bring your stuff. And I looked at him and I said to him, I'm not coming back onto the aircraft, am I? <sighs> and he said, we'll just talk just here now. So I walk out absolutely none the wiser as to what is happening. And as I step off of the aircraft and into the jet bridge, I kid you not, behind me, the cabin crew starts the manoeuvre of pulling in the door and closes the door behind oh. me. 
So I know now I'm knowing I'm not flying. There's no way. So I said, what's going on? He was like, look, there's there has been a, a, a small issue. He said, your visa waiver has been revoked and you are unable to travel to the US. And it's lucky we notice now rather than when you arrive because you would have probably been sent back immediately. So in one sense, immediately I was grateful, horrified, but grateful that I didn't just do 12 <laughs> yeah. hours. But, but I was very confused. I said, but w w why? What's happened? He said, you know, sir, we have no obligation to explain. We don't know ourselves. So that's it. So I called Boeing immediately because Boeing have got a lot of leverage in the United States, one mm -hmm. of the largest American companies. And Boeing is the purpose of my, my visit. So I let them know what happened. They said, OK, stay at the airport. Boeing then called the State Department in Washington, D.C., and they send over my details and they said, we need to know what's happened because this gentleman who's visiting us, Alex Macharis, has been taken off of an aircraft because his visa, his ESTER, has been revoked. I wait two to three hours at the airport. I'm now land side again and my luggage was taken off of the aircraft. And he, again, this was back in 2016, right? Uh, he says, I, I get a phone call and they say, stay at the airport because... Boeing have arranged with the State Department that a representative of Homeland Security from the U.S. Embassy is coming to speak with you and to explain everything. So do not worry. So I was like, great. And by the way, as I say, they don't have to do this. People's esters, the visa waiver, are revoked all the time for absolutely no reasons that would ever be known to the public. You cannot find out. They, they have no obligation to tell you. 99.99% of the time they will not tell you. It's just a thing. You may have a name that is similar to that of those of someone on a no-fly list. You can just be unlucky in that sense. So the Homeland Security guy comes. We go into a dedicated office that I've never seen before in a corridor I've never seen before at Heathrow Terminal 2. And we sit down and he says to me the first question. He says, uh, Mr. Macharis, have you ever been to, and then he reads a list of countries, Iran, Somalia, Libya, Iraq, and so on. Yeah. So... The countries that he had listed, I'd not visited. No, I said. He said, okay. He said, I just want to let you know of what the situation is. Basically, it is an unfortunate algorithm mix-up whereby you are young, single, male, at that time under 20, I can't remember what he said, under 21 was I maybe at that time? And he said, no, I can't have been, I can't remember, anyway. 2016, we were 19. Oh, so I was. Sorry, yeah. yes, 2016. Yeah, okay, there we go. So under 21, he said, and presence in the Middle East and receiving tickets to go to the US that have no clear payment link with mm. yourself. So I said, yeah, of course. I mean, I didn't pay for the tickets. The tickets are entirely paid by Boeing. Boeing is the purpose of my work trip, as he now knows, because Boeing have sent him to me. And he says, yep, yep, I get it. He said, it's just the algorithm doesn't. And when the algorithm sees things that have just this slight inconsistency in terms of the Middle East, young, under 21, single male, traveling alone, receiving tickets for the US with no clear payment, follow-up or paper trail, a small electronic red flag goes into the system. And what that red flag does, he explained to me, is revoke something like the visa waiver the ESTA which is the easy quick two-minute form to get into the US as a British passport holder so I said okay okay so so it made sense I respected the algorithm I can see how the frequency of my travel could look to a, an algorithm as completely unexplained but anyone that knows me knows knows why so he says 
so the good news is, is that this will not be an issue going forward. He was like, the bad news is you probably might not ever be able to go into the US on an ESTA, the visa waiver that is the visa free access almost that British passport holders enjoy. He said, maybe ever again. What a thing stay on to hear at 19. Like my whole life. So, well, imagine at least his sentence continued with, you may not ever be able to go, be able to go on an you know, on an yeah. ESTA, on it, because I thought he was just going to say you know, <laughs> oh categorically to the, to the country again. And uh, he said, no, no, he said, it'll all be fine. You'll just have to have the usual non-immigrant visa, B1, B2, which is the tourist and business joint visa, which is for 10 years and it's super solid and stable. And that's what you'll, that's what you'll need to go in on. So that is what I have now. That's how I go to and from the US. I have it printed in my passport and it's always... It always raises eyebrows when I'm flying to the US in or, or people go through my passport and they see, wait, why have you got a B1, B2 on your passport is British? What? And I'm like, well, what did no, you now do? I'm just going to say, listen to the podcast okay? <laughs> because <laughs> I have 15. explained it <laughs> exclusively on on air on episode 15 to my American co-host, Dan. There you go. There's there's the story. Yeah, I'm sorry. You did call me, but I'm surprised you weren't like, damn, you're American. Call someone. Did I tell the story? Uh, I decided, you know, I was weighing up Dan Boeing. I think I knew which (laughs) one had more leverage in this. 19-year-old Dan. (laughs) Yeah. Did I ever tell the story about when I was detained earlier this year? What? You mean aside from Kenya last week? Well, yes, that that was very pleasant. But when I was detained in the U.S. No, you told me. No. No, no, no. Somebody else told me this. No, no, no. I haven't heard. I haven't. (laughs) So I think we both agree that authorities all over the world, like, yes, it's intimidating to deal with them. But somehow, like, even what you just told me about the U.S. authorities coming on and being like, Mr. Macheras, you need to come with us. It's just so intimidating for some reason. And this so earlier this year, the same the same uh, incident when I was telling like several episodes ago about that couple fighting really loudly at immigration and like yelling and hitting each other. So after that, I was with Oscar and his mom. I always take visitors in the U.S. uh, citizen line because they can go with me since I'm a citizen. It's much faster. So we go up. uh, He's like asking Oscar and his mom some questions. No questions for me. And then he goes, I'm just going to need to talk to you a bit more or my colleague's going to need to talk to you a bit more so so please wait here he'll take your passports and take you with him and i'm like oh god like okay i'll see you guys at luggage claim and he's like no 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 you guys are free to go you dan you're coming with us and i'm like what but i'm american (laughs) what are you possibly (laughs) gonna do (laughs) if i was with you if i was with you in that moment i'd be like Officers, you know, <laughs> do him. what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> officers, we respect your work even more. <laughs> Thanks for keeping Goodbye, our Bye, Dan. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, bye, Oscar and Oscar's mom. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> so, so they take me into this back room with, like, it was literally like a movie. This guy with a metal. like tag around his neck wearing almost military-esque clothes and i'm like is this the fbi (laughs) am i being interrogated by the fbi right now 
So they've taken my passport. They put me in this little windowless room with this guy. So he goes, hey, Daniel, um, I'm just here to ask you some questions today. Don't worry. We're going to get through this. And I'm like, what have I done? But I, I knew to play it very cool because I'm like, I'm a U.S. citizen. You have to let me in. I maybe you'll let me into a prison, but <laughs> so so then after a while, I was starting to figure out why they had taken me in. So he's like, "I see here you haven't been to the U.S. for nine months. What happened?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, I don't actually live in the U.S. Why don't you live in the U.S.?" And like just asking all these questions. That, and then he's like, "So the Trump. last <laughs> yeah, the the possibility kidding, of him getting kidding. Like, Republicans, I'm kidding. I'm I'm being balanced. <laughs> there was a joke earlier everyone. about Biden. It's a poke, it's, there's a joke earlier now, a joke now about Trump. This is balance. Continue. This is perfect. So anyway, I go so he goes, The last time you left the US, I see here I see here you flew to Jordan. What did you do in Jordan? So then I'm like, hmm. So he's thinking I, I'm a U.S. citizen. I left, quote unquote, home, went to the Middle East, didn't come back for nine months, and suddenly I'm there. <laughs> so he's like, okay. Uh... Um, so it ended up being like a 30-minute interrogation. And what was so interesting to me was that he was asking for the most insane details of different things. Like, okay, which hotel did you stay at in Jordan? What was the view from your room? What did you have for breakfast at that hotel? Where did you go from there? What? Okay, what was the phone number of the Airbnb you stayed at in the country you went from after that? Like such specific questions, even things he was making me look up on my phone, obviously to try to decipher what was a lie and what was true. Obviously everything was true, but it was just like, wow, he's really asking for so such details that if you were lying, you wouldn't have thought of it, you know? So, and how, how were you, how were you in your response? Were you playing calm, but actually sounding like a complete <laughs> liar, despite it being the truth? Or were you nervous? Because when someone is questioning you, I mean, just the fact that you said, he said to you, don't worry. I mean, you weren't worried until he said that. No, <laughs> no but I, I mean, I just feel like we've said this before. If you're a citizen of a country you're coming yeah. home you know you've done nothing wrong like he's not going to deny me entry and he's not going to put me in prison for booking a one-way ticket to jordan with no other suspicions <laughs> so i just answered his questions honestly and leaving i was like this is a fascinating insight into how this whole thing mm -hmm. works how they try to protect the yeah. borders because you know, usually we're lucky not to be on the receiving end of those types of interrogations based on our yeah. passports and, yeah. and where we're from. Well, we wanted to actually, this brings us nicely into a quick subject on on aviation's role in global human trafficking and trying to prevent it. Finally, because recently, So recently, one, and the reason Dan's saying finally is because we keep meaning to bring this up because it just shows something that perhaps you as a listener have never thought about in terms of the role an airline would have to play. But basically the story is this, there is a, a CEO of a small business. So he's the, when I say small business, let's say less than 50 employees. And one of his employees is Ukrainian. And he himself is from the, U, the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. 
And as part of a kind of bonus, end of year bonus, if you like, he pays for one of his employees who is Ukrainian, Ukrainian passport holders, to fly from her work trip that she was there to visit a supplier, a supplier on his behalf in Paris to Budapest, where she would be meeting her family in Budapest. And he books her ticket because that's his end of year gift. And he books her on Air France to fly from Paris to Budapest. So now you have an Air France ticket flying within the European Union from Paris, Charles de Gaulle to Budapest in Hungary. And the ticket is for a Ukrainian passport holder with no obvious link, obviously, to the gentleman who had paid the ticket, who is listed, you know, as the card holder and you've got his family name and it's quite a common name in the UAE. When she arrives at the desk a couple days before Christmas to check in and everything was all active on her booking, she'd even assigned her seat an hour before. At check-in they said, oh, we're, we're really sorry, but your ticket has been cancelled. And she said, my flight has been cancelled. And she said, and they said, no, 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 the flight is running. Air France have cancelled your ticket and you need to go to the ticket desk to find out why and what to do. And she proceeds to the, ticking de- to the ticket desk and after about four or five phone calls and they're reading on the system and they're making calls to head office, they admit to her that it was cancelled on grounds of suspected human trafficking. The Arab national booking the Ukrainian citizen to fly within the European Union from one state to the other without knowing the full scale of how she got there, what the journey was, where she was going on and what the link was with him. Why was he, who was not part of the trip, but rather settled in the Middle East, why was he paying? And it was enough to trigger the algorithm that Air France and all airlines are constantly assessing and making these judgments in order to try to prevent and stop human trafficking, that the ticket was automatically cancelled. Now, they heard her story and they said, look, it's very clear to us that this is not what it is. And so we will rebook you. And so they rebook her free of charge. And she eventually gets on her way six hours later. So that was last December. Fast forward to this December, Would you believe she's in the same situation again, except from Paris to Nice. She checks in, not even thinking about what happened to her last year. And checking goes completely fine and smooth. But when she reaches security and scans her boarding pass, it rejects. And they say, you need to go back to the check-in. And they say, madam, we're so sorry, but since we checked you in, Air France have cancelled your ticket. And she knew And she went to the ticket desk and much faster because I think they knew what to look out for and they knew who to call. They admitted, oh, um, it says here that it's been cancelled on human trafficking grounds again because it was booked by her boss. So somehow she's been flagged. Her boss has been flagged and so on and so on. And Air France have directly spoken with the individual in the UAE to say and to basically to apologize that this is just the system doing its thing and looking out for for certain you know things of suspicion and inconsistencies and this is what air travel is designed to do and most people are unaware that air travel has huge pressure to try to ensure that it's not facilitating human trafficking of you know of a of a global scale thank goodness i mean thank goodness these systems exist it's very inconvenient that she has to deal with this but human trafficking is one of the most horrific things imaginable so in this case i would say 
that it's good to see that these algorithms are doing something, but obviously it's not able to prevent everything. Yeah. Okay, we didn't leave much time last week to questions, so let's leave a bit more time to questions this week. What do yes, you think? Let's do that and let's before we go into the, the Q&A, I just have to say we will dedicate a longer section to human trafficking some other time because it's it's a huge thing in the industry. Yeah. Also how to look out for it and how to how, how anyone how, how the crew yeah. how the crew are trained to look out for it, you know. Absolutely. But with that let's it's a, it's a let's thing. go to Q&A. The first question is from Julia. She says, "Hi Alex, love the podcast. Thank you. I had a question in case you needed one for next episode. Do you know if the flight attendants know if you have an award seat with points, aka you have your ticket on points, or if you paid with actual money, cash? The reason why I'm asking is because I recently took a flight in business class on Qantas, and even though I was in seat 1A, very good choice, Julia. I got asked for my meal choice last while the lady behind me in 2A was asked first. They had no real pattern, so I'm wondering if they prioritized the highest paying passengers. Although I also flew first class Emirates with points a couple of weeks ago, again a reward seat, and the service was incredible and definitely didn't feel like a less valued I definitely didn't feel like a less valued passenger there. Thanks again and looking forward to next week's episode. What do you think? Great question. As someone who flies mostly yeah. on award tickets, I'll say that 99% of airlines do not make that information known to the crew. It's not yeah. part of any system that the crew can see or even on your boarding pass, it's usually not visible. The possible explanation on Qantas is that they might take fare class in con into consideration, but more likely they take status into consideration. So yeah. the woman behind you might have been, you know, highest Qantas with the, or highest status with Qantas. They ask her first, then they go through the cabin down, and then finally the people with no status have their orders taken last. That's usually how it works. Julia, this is what I think I think too. I think this is down to status or or status as he said, <laughs> but I think it's likely that the passenger behind you was platinum on Qantas and the equivalent one word emerald of course and perhaps given that you haven't mentioned that you are um perhaps this is why she was served first again it's not a guarantee that it will be like that but for example if the passenger behind you was the only passenger with for example platinum status with Qantas and everybody else either had a lower tier status or no status at all with the one word alliance then I think almost definitely she would be given just slightly more of preference in terms of, you know, to having your meal choice first and so on and so on. And British Airways do this quite a lot. It's definitely quite common in the One World Alliance. But it's also not a great look, I think, because, I mean, I always find it a bit awkward when I'm flying, for example, let's say I'm flying British Airways, okay, and I'm One World Platinum, and I can be in an Airbus A320 short haul cabin surrounded by everyone and the crew might come up and literally in front of 15 passengers say, Mr. Macheras, and I'm, yes, and oh, and, this, and is that doing that, that nice welcome? As a one word platinum, as a one word emerald, sorry, we just want to welcome you on board, blah, 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 I wondered if you want a drink and everybody is listening and I cringe <laughs> yeah. every time. It, 
it's super nice. I know you like it, but I'm also like, I'm just, I'm always like, no, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's fine. No, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, let this be over <laughs> in, the, in like, the most polite way possible. Yeah, no, I don't like when they do it for status, like especially in economy, but I like when they do it to everyone, like in business where they welcome people by name, that type of thing, of or like thank them for flying. But I do think in economy, especially on a full flight, everyone's eyes are turning the flight attendant is saying your whole name out loud and you're just like, Ooh. yeah, it's a, it's almost like a privacy. That, always, that, that brings me on to something. Do you ever do you ever feel that people are absolutely stupid when you see them stand? Uh, for example, they stand at a till to buy something and they ask, uh, and uh, madam, what's your uh, what's your postcode, please? And then they just say the postcode in front of everyone. They're like, what's the number? And then she's like, oh number 43 and i'm like my god i just heard her name her house yes. number her address her postcode and at any time there's there's a certain store in the uk that asks every single time at the top of their voice what's your postcode please and i say it, it doesn't matter. what store asks for your like, postcode it's, it's to do with loyalty, right? So they want to, it's that backwards way of saying, okay. do you have the loyalty card? Which I'm like, no, I don't. your phone number. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's also another thing. Yeah. I, 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 if I have to give it, I'm like, one, two, three. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I, people have just got to be, data is everything. Yeah. I love when people are talking to their banks in public. And then even when I call a bank and it's like, please say your 16-digit credit card number now. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not going to say this publicly. Please say your expiration what? date. In the U.S., it's always like that. And actually, the other day, flying down here, there was a guy on the bus, like from the gate to the plane, saying his credit card number into his phone. <laughs> I was like, sir, oh maybe you should tone it down a bit. But you were also like five, three, eight, <laughs> yeah. Nine, with your I was like, pad, okay, right? yeah. save this to my we'll autofill. <laughs> yeah, Christmas is coming up. You've got gifts to buy. Yeah. This next question is kind of related a bit in terms of things being sus. This is from Leah, who is a journalist, friend of the podcast. She lives in Florida and she's currently been traveling on an incredible cruise that has taken her to antarctica it's that cruise that you bought uh deep down in south america in brazil and she's been to antarctica her stories that she's been posting are simply too extraordinary for a phone on instagram to to you know properly get across i can imagine she's had an incredible incredible time and leah we've been following the trip leah asks a tech security question to both of us she says do you guys plug your phones into airport charging ports or join the public Wi-Fi? Good question. Yeah, you go I, first. You go first. I feel a bit guilty about plugging the USB in sometimes because I know it's dangerous just to plug a USB mm. straight into the, like when they have those USB outlets, but it's mm. so convenient. So I try not to do I it. Am, I am <laughs> I am, staring at a USB port <laughs> literally 20 centimeters in front of my face right now. And I'm looking at it like, I'm not plugging anything into, into that. <laughs> In case you guys don't know, it's like yeah. there have been many hackers who have managed to basically get all the information off someone's phone from them plugging it mm. into uh, like a public USB charging outlet. So they always say use a power brick because then 
No one can take your information. So that's the way to do it. As in a regular a regular charger. Yeah, exactly. Or an adapter. Like, Anything yeah. in a power port yeah. is fine. Yeah. When it comes to yeah. public Wi-Fi, I always, pretty much always use a VPN. So then there's no mm. real concern about using public Wi-Fi, as far as I'm aware. So to answer Leah's question, I do not, I definitely do not plug any of my devices or anything into public USB port charging ports because as we know it's very well documented no I don't use them on aircraft either never but but not because not necessarily because of cyber on an aircraft I mean it's still possible the cyber security concerns I I I will not use any US USB ports that are public full stop right whether they're on the ground or in an airport because there is too much data now showing us of the risks of you know hackers being able to obtain everything because you think you're plugging into charge when you're actually just giving your whole life away <laughs> but the the reason i stopped doing it on an aircraft is because in 2015 i flew from warsaw to seoul in south korea when i was flying i plugged my iphone in to charge on the usb port that's integrated into the seat and it bricked my iphone it just, the iPhone became unresponsive and would not come back on. Oh, wow. And when I eventually reached an Apple store and they took it in for surgery and I came back after three hours, he concluded, he said, the USB port, something was inauthentic and it bricked the phone. And the phone's response was to just ultimately shut down. The motherboard was completely affected. The phone was finished. That was it. And that was actually really scary, arriving somewhere with, with a phone that was unresponsive and thinking yeah. about what I'm going to do. Uh, and I was quite young. Um, you it, yeah, so ever since then. Let alone everything else. Yeah. I, I don't even remember what I did, but anyway, obviously I sorted something. But ever since then, I, I have never used a public USB port. For the public Wi-Fi, my answer is the same as yours. I will connect, but I have a VPN on most, most of the time anyway. It's- it's so funny. I, we, I would never open online banking on a public n- Wi-Fi. No. It's funny. Just earlier in the episode, we're like, Japan Airlines' new A350 will feature both USB-A and USB-C in economy. And then it's like, but <laughs> dare use it. And we're like, <laughs> not for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Very good spot. Very yeah. good spot. So I, I just have to say, I've received so many messages this week. I have to give a shout out to Jan for listening to the podcast on his flight from Lima to Cusco. He said, thank you so much. Keep me entertained. Um, much appreciated. For, it's our pleasure. Yeah, on such a cool route. Here we have a question that says, this is quite interesting. What do we think about the fact that Lufthansa is flying inter-European A321neos on flights to Beirut in this case, but also to Cairo to places that are five hours from Frankfurt or Munich. I am not surprised because I think that (laughs) on many of these East Mediterranean beginning of the Middle East routes, there have been countless examples historically of airlines thinking that they don't need to prioritize the aircraft to have a decent premium offering with a you know a business class with flatbeds and so on and and a more long haul experience for economy because I think they see it as well the Canary Islands can be five hours from some of those routes and and so on. And so they have the data and if the demand is not too heavy, I mean, British Airways do this and now Lufthansa are sending the A321neo, as you said, to Eastern Mediterranean 
beginning of the Middle East areas like Beirut. I just think it, I just think financially it's so nice for them on the spreadsheet that it's such an efficient flight on an efficient aircraft that they haven't had to take away an aircraft with a nice long haul cabin that they and there's no complaints or barely any that they're even hearing about. So they're like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> BA have been doing it for years. I know it. It sucks. The fact that most of those flights leave like at two or three a.m from Cairo, from Beirut, in order to land to connect to the U.S. mostly, that's paying business class prices and getting a rock-solid economy seat with no padding, no headrest, that has a blocked middle seat. Woohoo! Yeah, that's a tough thing for everyone. On a full flight in economy, the fact that they don't even bother putting headrests on those planes is like, come on. KLM monsters puts headrest monster KLM has headrests on at least the forward half of their Embraer E2s which are used for like 1 to 2 hour flights so the fact that Lufthansa what about the, what about it, the, the <laughs> back half uh well the back half doesn't have it most but of the time you don't care about that <laughs> most of the time here's the hack most of the time <laughs> business class is only a few rows so the still yeah. the first half of economy if you manage to get one of those seats either by pre-booking, it makes all the difference. Having a seat with good padding, having at least an adjustable headrest so you can lean your head a bit. Those specifically the Lufthansa Group narrow body seats are just like just thinking about them gives me back pain. Yeah, it's true that they're kind of more akin to ironing boards. Yes, I think literally. Is what I usually. I'm reminded of. I think my but, uh, iron board has more aviation. padding than Lufthansa's regional seat. Do you iron? Well, occasionally I ironed this morning to get my shirt ready for breakfast. Do you not? I iron? use the steam iron. I, I use the steam iron every day. I think it's, it's great at just getting the creases out of stuff that's already been ironed, especially shirts and suits and so on. The mm. steam iron is, is great. And the one that I use, I didn't just go onto Amazon. But I thought, right. Who knows who would have a very, very decent travel steam iron? So I thought, given that we go to aviation sites for aviation things, I, I thought of that old British magazine, Good Housekeeping. So Good <laughs> Housekeeping had this like list of tried and t- it was so forensic. It was fantastic. So I bought that number one option, which was about £45. And I now have three of them so that I don't have to travel with them from any of my bases, and they're very, very good. Shout out to that magazine. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not going to mention the brand either in case they think it's a brand deal. It's not (laughs) a brand deal. It's paid for on Amazon. Amazon. Uh, The next question I have here is from Leon. He is writing to us from Germany. He asks, where do you see the biggest demand of airlines in terms of which business roles they might need in the future I'll quickly say that my gut instinct is anything to do with automation, artificial intelligence, and the level of sophistication ahead in terms of digitalization and that era. What about you? Yes. Also, I guess most airlines now have a sustainability officer that is taken seriously compared to maybe 10 years ago. So that's a big role that needs to be filled. But yeah, I guess you're right. Artificial intelligence. um, It would be great to see more investments in things like anti-human trafficking or hopefully AI can help with that as well and really be as intelligent as possible 
Not, 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 not also taking away from the fact that airlines fundamentally are built on the core existence of their key ground staff, like baggage handlers, like flight dispatchers, like everyone that yes. is absolutely central to the safe and continued operational success of global air travel, because we see exactly what happens when those folks strike or when there is, or when there is, you know, um, a level of sickness that leads to high absence rates of, for example, air traffic controllers or so on. Everything's flown, uh, thrown, not flown, but thrown into disarray almost immediately. So yes, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, well, AI is going to do everything for us. But boy, do we need to ensure that we have next generation, not just all those key fundamental roles, but also flight engineers, you know, aircraft engineers, those that will be working on and compatible with the fuels of the future, how will we, we will be powering aircraft in the future. And of course, then that li links nicely with your sustainability answer. It's all of that, everything, the amount that's involved in the aviation ecosystem to get us from A to B is just staggering. Yeah, just the fact that so many airlines are running on systems that are decades old, to think how fast technology yeah. evolves and the systems are prehistoric, the fact that these most airlines still print out lists, passenger manifests and everything when boarding is completed to then walk down the jetway and give to the pilots. It's like we're still printing papers in 2023. One of my friends, he says to me, he's like, you know, you speak about the future of aviation and blah, blah, blah. He's like, aviation is the only industry that hasn't moved on. And I said to him, what do you mean? He's like, we still stand at a carousel watching everyone's bags go past us. And then, oh, when as we just, he's like, there must be a better way to do that. He was like, there must be a better alternative to the way that we queue up at check-in. There must be a better alternative to the way that we comply with global security restrictions and go through security and so on and so on and so on. And he's not wrong. He's right. <laughs> I just, just don't know. It's, it's The thing is, I think it's one of those things where everything is up and running. So you can't just... yeah press stop and change things. And also the sector is reluctant to press stop because aviation is so tightly regulated and it is also at the same time now the safest form of transport that the sector is absolutely afraid to fix what they believe to have not been broken. And why would we pause and disrupt? It's that word, isn't it? Disrupt is now a good thing, but why would we disrupt what they perceive mm. to work well? Because it's safer flying in many cases than getting into an elevator. I mean, that's a whole other subject, the <laughs> elevator yeah. stories and and uh, that we have, but we won't go down that rabbit yeah. hole. Um, I'll quickly get to this question. There's two questions from this um, young guy, uh, but I'll take one of them and then we can do the next one next week. He says, hey, Alex, loving your podcast with Dan. I've got a couple of questions for you guys. So here's the first one. He says, as you may know, Emirates most frequent route before 2017 blockade of Qatar that was led by Saudi Arabia, UAE, Bahrain and Egypt was the Dubai Doha route. And now nearly three years after the lifting of the blockade, no Emirates flights have been scheduled. We can argue that Fly Dubai, given that it's being part of Emirates, the sister to Emirates, is, is serving it instead. But the fact that Emirates used to have this Doha route, 20 minutes, flown by the A380 and 777, shows how the capacity on this route is just not back to its prime. Why is that? Do you think we will ever see Emirates A380s back in Doha anytime soon? Um, the quick answer to this, Abdullah, is that this is actually, from what I've learned, a restriction in place 
from the UAE at the moment, which has put a cap on the number of seats since the resumption of, uh, well, since the restoration of ties between the two countries. It has capped the number of seats that can fly on any given day between Doha and Dubai, which is why Emirates is just not showing up. Emirates is not scheduling an A380 and so on. And while the Doha-Dubai route was one of the busiest routes for transit travelers in the world, you're right, it hasn't come back to anything even remotely like what it is. And it's a lot to do with the restrictions that are in place from the UAE side. Now, if the UAE were to open the open skies agreement that was previously in place between the UAE and Qatar, then we could see Emirates return with larger aircraft like the 777, maybe even the A380 to resume that shuttle role. But ever since those diplomatic relations were restored and that cap was introduced, it, it, it hasn't happened. It cannot happen. And so we'll see if eventually that changes. Yeah. Just if I can add, I think you maybe have more insight into this, but since 2017, when the blockade began, the Middle Eastern aviation industry has also matured a lot. Back then, just looking at Etihad, the whole situation, it was so competitive. It was so, it was much more driven by prestige and trying to one up the other than logic. Yeah. So Emirates was sending an A380 to Doha. Qatar Airways was flying like 18 times a day or something from Doha to Dubai. Yeah. Now they fly four because they're not allowed more. But even then, most of those flights are quite empty in economy. They're sold out in first class, but most of Qatar Airways flights are, I would say, one third to half full in economy. So the demand, there is demand there, but it's just more sensible now. Emirates, even if they could relaunch, there's no way I think they would send an A380 even to like Muscat now since the pandemic. I think Emirates flies once a day. So I think they've just said, hey, look, these are not very populous countries. We're carrying a lot of people to Saudi, but mainly we're carrying people to and from the UAE or connecting. So they have sort of changed priorities. And I think that given the amount of tourism to Dubai, Qatar Airways is in a better position to be the ones to snap up some of Emirates passengers who want to travel via Doha to Dubai rather than vice versa with Emirates snapping up people who are traveling to Doha just because the market is already quite small and the people who are traveling to Doha are likely to be loyal to Qatar Airways or at least maybe more interested in flying with them. That's my theory. No, I think that's super, super, not only insightful, but eloquent and accurate. And I think that was a very, very fair assessment of the, the way in which the Gulf has matured since those days. And I guess there was a grounding, there was a humbling. I mean, quite literally, there was a grounding with the <laughs> yeah. pandemic, you know. But there, there was a kind of a humbling to the that part of, of the Middle East yeah. in order to ensure more sensible, rational decisions going forward. Absolutely. Alex, it's 10.30 and it's now time for me to go stargazing on our overwater terrace as I enjoy the sound of the waves and have some chocolate. He's a man of the people, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's a man of the people. Meanwhile, some of us are still working. It's, you know, 10 days before Christmas, but we're, we're, we're on it. We've flown to Toulouse. I'm here and we're, I'll, I'll update you next week on how everything, yeah. how, everything, uh, how everything is here. So I will wish you a very pleasant rest of your week. Thank Another you. thanks to the listeners 
for all of your feedback. Please do send in your questions for next oh week God. and we'll get to Wait, Alex, the giveaway. We promised to do the to do a giveaway because we also just reached a hundred reviews on Spotify confetti emoji Amazing. pop into the Thank air. Thank you very much. We do have a winner actually that I have drawn. I just need to find yes. here we have it. You did so, text me about this earlier. Okay. Yes. Go. On. I have drawn Mel Woon as the winner for leaving a nice review on uh, Apple Podcasts. So as we say, we enter your names into a system. If you send us a screenshot via Instagram or wherever of your review and you have yeah. a chance to win something. So Mel, you'll be receiving a nice airline related prize. Amazing. And we're going to keep doing those because we we have a whole bunch of gifts and we love it that people are getting in touch and winning. So congratulations, Mel. We nearly forgot to do it. Thank you, Dan, for reminding me. <laughs> I was like, <gasps> and with that. Yeah, I just have to say it has been fun spending this time with you, even if, you know, we don't always admit it. Well, I mean, I know you enjoy the podcast, okay? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's fine to, again, but it's that thing, isn't it? It's the lack of acknowledgement that you want to give on step one. But this is something that you can talk to your therapist about because I will now say to you au revoir, bon nuit, have a nice rest of your evening live from Airbus headquarters in Toulouse. Thank you for listening to On Air. I'm Alex. And I'm Dan. See you next week. Bye-bye. See you later. Thank you.